Blog Talk Radio. Looking for informative educational sports and not the same chatter for hours? Then Sports Beat, your alternative is next as part of Mountain Meadow Productions. Stay tuned. From the studio of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sportsbeat Radio, this is Sportsbeat, a provocative, insightful, informative, and educational show that we hope will educate the sports listener to the specific of sport. With interviews, analysis, and a comprehensive look at the topics we feel will be appealing to the listener. And so with that in mind, we're not just your average call-in, same subject, same question, over and over sports radio, but we like to think of ourselves as informative and educational radio. So why not sit back, and for the next 30 minutes or so, we hope you'll find the program informative, educational, and above all, enjoyable. And with that said and done, this is Sportsbeat, and we're coming at you live, and I'm your host, John Spooler. Started out with my dad, watching 
NYA Tittle and a Giants. But then as I got to be the age to understand the game on my own, you know, I became more of a Green Bay Packer fan, Colts, and for the AFL, the old San Diego Chargers. So, um, some of the things that I noticed over the time, even just the football, the old Duke football, for instance, was a bigger football. I've thrown that ball, actually. I played uh, in Sandlot games. We had a team that used to play in parks, and we used to use the old Duke football. And it was a bigger, heavier football. It was not uh, as streamlined as the ball is today. I think somewhere in the 70s after the merger, they went to more of a college-type ball, the ball they used in the AFL, which was a little bit easier to throw and, uh, and to catch. So that's, that's one of the things right off the bat I, I can think of, right? The other one, maybe not so obvious, you saw the uh, goalpost. When I started watching football, the goalposts were on the goal line. And actually, they had two posts, you know, even though they were recessed. So that affected actually the, uh, <coughs> you know, the defenses and the coverage. If you remember in Super Bowl three, one of the balls hit off the post. I think Jimmy Orr was wide open in the end zone. It cost the Colts a touchdown, just from the goalpost being in the way. One of the other big things was for the kicking game. I remember, you know, watching the 65 uh, Western Conference Championship game. Of course, the Packers tied the game late in the game. John Chandler's field goal. And really, the posts were not that high back in the day, so the ball actually went over the post. By all accounts, people were there. The field goal was no good. I've watched it since then on uh, film and uh, saw still photos. Looks like it was a white. Although, Bart Starr, and I think his uh, <coughs> character is impeccable, in my opinion. You know, he was a, a pretty down-to-earth, honest guy. He was holding that day, even though he couldn't play in the game. He was holding. He said, from his perspective, the kick was good. But, really, it changed the how the whole course of history was for Green Bay and Lombardi. They went on to win that game in overtime. Who knows what would have happened. It was a tying score, but, uh, uh, you know, it cost the Colts the championship and a chance to go against Cleveland again, where they had beaten them the year before. So then the Packers went on to win three championships in a row there and really cemented Lombardi's legacy. So that was a that was a big thing. And then, of course, that led to the goal post being, uh, being raised, the post being higher. And then several years later, they moved them you know, off the goal line to the end line, like college, which I think was a good move at the time, you know. Even just the defenses on the goal line had to deal with that post being there, you know, for the coverages. I mean, everybody used to play the old 83 Houston defense back in the old days, where you had a, every guy a down guy in a gap, and they had three, you know, a linebacker and two guys standing up in the end. So when uh, when they went did away with the goal posts, uh, it opened the uh, area for more passing over the middle, where the defenses had to be more uh, more flexible to the plays they might use, and a lot more passes would be called down in the goal line. The other real obvious uh, difference, which made a big impact, I think, even today, uh, is the helmets. I remember when I first started playing as a freshman, you got the hand-me-down equipment, so you had the old regular helmets, which were fitted to size, and then you didn't get one that's exactly your size. Maybe you had to stuff a little padding in there to make it tight. Uh, then the next year, they had a leather on the inside. The next year, they went to the air helmets, right? And then they would pump them up, and they would fit you uh, for, your, for your size. And when they went to those helmets, I can distinctly remember, as a freshman, how they taught you to tackle. You drove your shoulder into the guy. You know, you pulled your neck, you drove your shoulder into him. You wrapped up, and then you, and you, and you took the guy down. You wrapped up his legs, and you brought the guy down. The next year, it was stick your face mask in the guy's numbers. 
which I think led to a lot of these concussions and the injuries. And it all came about, I think, it filtered down to high school from the uh, from the college levels. There was a book out, I think, about Oklahoma or Texas football, you know, where they talked about that from the 60s. I think it was a Gary Shore might have written that book. Uh, and also, if you remember, you know, Jerry Kramer's fine book about the Packers, I think he talked about how they started using the helmet more as a weapon as opposed to uh, protection. I actually think that if they, the more they uh, make the helmets uh, more high tech, I think the more they're used as a, as a weapon, I think the more they've uh, caused more injuries and uh, eliminated more neck injuries and head injuries. The guys didn't tackle with their head back in the old days. You know, even when I was in college, I didn't play football in college with a fellow Johnny Green. You know, he died, you know, making a tackle, you know. Yeah, I remember reading. You don't see that much, those kind of uh, tackles when they had the helmets and they didn't have the air helmets. So I think that's been a real uh, significant change and it's very relevant today with all the uh, you know, post-concussion syndromes they're having, uh, the percussion protocols they have now for players. And even if you look at some of the guys like Junior Seau and some of these guys that they've you know, had problems after playing football, it turns out to be related to these uh, concussions. You know, from, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they had more head injuries and they're using the helmet more as a weapon as opposed to defensive um, against injuries. So that was one thing. One big thing. I think it still needs to be addressed today. George, one thing to, to interject is that the uh, game is different today. If Vince Lombardi was alive, he'd probably uh, be ranting and raving about missed tackles. You know, we see it all the time, uh, not only uh, players wearing gloves, receivers who can't catch the football, but uh, the inadequacy of tackling in the game. What are the reasons for that in your view? Well, I think, well, if you look at it, the collective bargaining agreement has a lot to do with that. You know, guys don't want to get hurt preseason, you know, but a lot of it, the, they don't hit the block, blocking sleds anymore. They don't go to the tackling dummies, you know. They don't do the drills that they used to. I was watching an old uh, video the other day, and they are running up and down the field, and, and the two-man sleds, uh, the, you know, five- and seven-man blocking sleds, and that, and that had a lot to do with it. They practiced fundamentals back in the days, which they don't, mainly because of injuries and contracts, and guys not want to, you know, get hurt doing useless drills, you know. And I don't blame people, you know, they got big contracts, big money on the line, but it has shown a, a definitely a, a difference in how players uh, play the game and how their ability to tackle. You see tons of missed tackles, which I don't think you saw back in the old days. No, Based on they practice the fundamentals, and it makes a big difference. I think a lot of sports too, you know. If the guys play it, become more skilled and bigger and stronger and there's more money on the line, they don't spend as much time on the fundamentals. So that's, that's one issue. I think another really big difference which has been made in the game, which is how we watch the game and how it's perceived, as well as how it's played, is when they move the hedge marks on the field. Mid-70s, I believe it was, uh, 74 or 75, I'm not sure the exact date, but they moved the hedge marks in and they did it, I think they said, for the television. So the ball would always be centered in the middle of the field. What that did, in my opinion, is it's changed how the game looks. Because you took the wide and the short side of the field really out of play. The old Green Bay sweep, for instance, you know, uh, Jerry Kramer and Fussy Thurston, you know, sweeping. And even the Raiders did it with Upshaw. They used to call it in college, you know, the old student body left to right, Southern California. You take it from the 
far edge mark and you run it at the whole big wide side of the field to run to and you had a lot of um, you had a lot of room to make uh, open field running great plays. And it was a beautiful play. I think they took a lot of that out of the game when they moved the edge marks in. Also, I know a few years back the read option became a big uh, became a big thing. Uh, I think it's very limited. And that's why I don't think it really caught on. It really never was a big factor in professional football as it was in college back in especially in the 70s and early 80s. You know, Oklahoma and your Alabama's ran the wishbones. And there was a lot of different types of option offenses, which were very interesting and creative and made for engineering football because you saw a lot of different types of uh, plays, which you don't see now because you're always in the middle of the field. So it's took that wide side out of the field out of play where you can do a lot of different things. The rollout. You know, all you ever see a rollout anymore. So and also I think it contributes to the injuries a little bit more too because everything now is in the middle of the field. Guys, have, you're banging heads on every play because you're in the middle of the field. In the, old, in the other days, you'd have the wide side of the field, maybe not be so much in, in the contact of the game uh, each play. So that's another thing. And then also it changed how the defense played. If you look at college now, their, their edge marks are still a little bit wider. And their defense, in fact, they play a lot of two men to one side, one to the other. In the pros now, basically, you're right, one to the Tampa, two, two defensive backs, and then you have your packages. But uh, back before they changed the edge marks, it was always a strong side and a weak side, always. And there were different players. You, you, your, your weak side of the field was the smaller side of the field. Or to, that, to the weak side of the formation, less players to that side of the field, which usually corresponded with the field all within always. And you would have probably bigger, stronger players like outside linebackers or safeties, not as fast, where you put your speed players would be on the other side, and it would flip-flop a lot more back and forth. You don't see that as much today, I don't think, with the way the field is. And you have to have more deception. That's why it's much more motion, which it added to the game, certainly. Different plays, different pass patterns than there was, but it has also limited because you're everybody's in the middle of the field. So I think that's been a couple big uh, subtle but uh, very significant changes, which you don't always see or think about, you know, as you watch the games week in and week out. So with that said, what were some of the changes you think that affected the NFL? Specific changes? Well, one that jumps out, which I really was a proponent of initially was the instant replay and the refisherating. You know, so the rule changes, there's been a lot more rules now put in effect for the quarterback to keep them. I mean, listen, I understand that you're paying a lot of money and people want to see the stars and you want to keep them on the field. There's been a lot of rules for that. There's been rules against, you know, head tackling, hitting with the helmet. I think it's unfortunate sometimes there's incidental contact and guys like intentionally doing it. Like you call it, now you're called for targeting, you're thrown out of the game and you're suspended for the next game. I think some of that is unfortunate. I don't think it's always the case where a guy is targeting to injure a player. And also you're out there and that's your job is to stop this player. You know, you've been taught since you're a young player to stick your stick your face mask in the guy's you know, you know, in the guy's numbers. And, and you want to stop and make the play and look good, and now they're now they telling you not to do that. So there's been a lot of things to try to tackle in here. It's like, do they tackle the quarterback high? Do you tackle him low? Do you can't hit him too low? Like when Brady got hurt that time. I think it was unfortunate that he grabbed his play again. I think they should be protected in these instances and not hit the head, but it makes it very difficult for the defensive players. I think over the years, the main thing is they've made so many rule changes against the defensive players for the most part. Uh, and to make more scoring in the game. I think that's been one of the big changes. Myself, I always love the great defensive struggle. Not that offensive, good defensive 
game where, you know, teams are really, uh, you know, points are right up for you. You see it, still see it once in a while, but not as much with the rules. And the old, even, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, the defensive backs, they could bang the receivers all the way down the field. But it was still had some high-scoring games in the old AFL days, you know, the Chargers and the Med Bomber, you know, Carol Monaco and the Raiders and the Warren Wells, even though the defenses, you know, could be very physical. So I think that's been one of the big, big changes in officiating, also the instant replay, which I was in favor of initially. I guess I still am when they get it right, but a lot of times it just really takes the flow out of the game, and sometimes it's questionable whether they got it right or not. You know, sometimes it seems obvious to you that they've you know, been overturned and they don't overturn it. Other times, the other way around. I think the one thing you got to realize is it's not in 3D, so sometimes it's hard. Does the guy really drag his foot across the grass or not? You know, it may look it or may not look it. So that's, that's been one of the other real uh, big uh, points, I think, how the game has changed over the years. Going back. When you uh, talk today to some of the fans, particularly the older fans, the new coinage phrase today is the GOAT. And of course, we know that is the greatest of all time. So people put Tom Brady in there, of course. They put uh, Patrick Mahomes, who they feel will be that way. And some people have even mentioned uh, Matthew Stafford, the uh, Super Bowl winner. Uh, but when you look at particularly Brady, uh, and you look back in the 40s and even 30s to a quarterback uh, named Otto Graham. Uh, Otto Graham was the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns for about 12 years, through the 40s and early 50s. He was uh, in 10 championships. He won seven of them in 10 seasons. And Brady was in 10 championships and won seven Super Bowls, but it took him 22 seasons. Uh, Sammy Baugh, another uh, forgotten player of the past who was a Hall of Famer, uh, had a uh, single season completion rate of 70.33, which was incredible. Uh, he was six seasons. He led the league in passing. He tied with uh, Steve Young in most seasons, leading the league lowest interception percentage. Uh, what do you think the difference is as far as goats? Should they be given? Uh, the same accolades as a Tom Brady, or do you think uh, otherwise? Well, it's hard to compare, or I think that's the first thing right off the bat, you know. I, I really can't comment on watching some old films on the auto brands, but if you look at his stats in an era where quarterbacks didn't throw with a high percentage of completions, he had a high completion percentage and a lot of yards. So how could you not consider that, especially in an era when the, the defenses could do a lot more in the ball, maybe it's not quite as streamlined as it is today. Take nothing away from Tom Brady. That guy's been phenomenal. You know, he's been somewhat of a compiler, but you can't discount that. I mean, guys right. did a phenomenal shape. How a guy, other than the one season when he was hurt, how a guy takes up pounding that he's taken over the years and perform. Uh, that's phenomenal. I mean, the testimony to his, you know, his strength and his conditioning, his diet, his will to play, and his, and his desire to play. You know, the. Uh in the past, a lot of people, a lot of the so-called experts and sports writers felt that uh, the defenses of the past were much tougher. Guys like Johnny Unitas took a pounding, so did Starr, so did Bill Plum, some of those uh, quarterbacks that played in the 60s. And since the game has changed, uh, particularly uh, I take a uh, receiver like Lance Allworth, before the rule changes, Lance Allworth was basically molested all the way down the field uh, by people like Johnny Sample and some of the other safeties. They changed the rules where you had the five-yard chuck rule uh, that Jerry Rice came into. It, it freed him up to make uh, some uh, very, very important catches. 
Uh, how do you feel about that aspect of the game? Well, you have to factor that in. I think that's part of the reason their completion percentages are higher and are expected to be higher and they need to be higher. And that's one reason. And also, they have the rules to protect the quarterbacks in there where you can't hit them at certain times in certain places. They can also get rid of the ball, you know, without grounding, you know, if they get out of the pocket. So, they create rules to make it get more offense, and I think that has helped some of these quarterbacks. And the good ones, they can, you know, use the third advantage. You still see quarterbacks that don't, but I think that has uh, changed the game for sure. We go back to 40 years plus, or, you know, it's like 1979 AFC Championship with the Houston Oilers catch by Mike Renfro in the corner from Dan Pastorini. Uh, I interviewed Dan Pastorini a few days ago, and he still is pissed about that, that game. Uh, didn't have the replay then. Uh, what iconic and or moments really transformed the NFL? That was one. Super Bowl three, I think, was another. You want to elaborate on that? Well, I think that moment really was the impetus for the replay gathering a lot of momentum. I think it was a few years before they still put it into play, but at that point there was a lot of, especially amongst the owners, I think they didn't want it, and the TV deal didn't want to put replay in. After that play, which was kind of strange, because the referee didn't make a call. They didn't have replay. That's right. And after they showed it three or four times, everybody was obviously saying, then he all huddled together and said it was no catch. So was kind of if he called it no catch from the beginning, I'd say, okay, they stuck with their call, there was no replay. But he didn't make a catch, then they watched it, deployed it, and then they said it was no catch. So I think from that point on, there was a great outcry for replay. I think they've got it pretty much right for the most part, although sometimes it goes on and on, and it's way too many. I think maybe the replay gives the referees an opportunity maybe to not be so attentive or make the right call right off the back, because I know they can go back and look at it, which I think takes away from the flow of the game and, and delays the game, which I think that annoys a lot of people. And I think it's pretty so when you're trying to watch the game. But it, for the most part, they're getting it right. So I think that's been one thing in that regard. You know, just, if I was to hit that three, I'd still be upset. And look at the Pittsburgh, I think that was their last year, uh, their last championship, and they had beaten Houston Bandley the year before. I think that was the game, but uh, their, their, their coach, uh, Phillips, Phillips yeah. uh, so this time we're going to kick the door in, and that was the nine score, and who knows what would have happened, but they didn't win, and Pittsburgh went on to win four Super Bowls, and you know, Bradshaw and all those guys are icons, and, and Earl Campbell was a great player, and the game for three was a good quarterback, but we don't think of them in the same way, just like with the Packers winning that one game with, with the field goal, they won three championships in a row, and it's changed how we perceive them now, as opposed to the other players who didn't win. And you know, it's interesting, because it still goes on, the game that uh, a few years ago with the Rams and the uh, Saints that was clearly interfered with by uh, two yards, and they never called it, and uh, the Saints got cheated out again uh, a Super Bowl possibility. That's another call that I think really still needs to be worked on, especially in the day and time where we have replay and everything else. You see guys get molested and they don't call, and all the times there's barely times and there's interference, and that changes the game. You know, you get, you get down to the goal, you get first and goal of the one-yard line, you know you're going to score for the most part, you know, and it's a tough call when it goes against you, especially when, especially for the Saints, if you have Rob in the game. Well, I'm thinking about Giants Eagles games, too, uh, when they, uh, they made a bad call, and in fact, at the season, they, they didn't get that call, they, they got the call, and it really was a should have been call, you know. So, with that said, how has the rules and officiating changed the game, in your opinion? 
think players are much more uh, hesitant, I think. To, uh, Well, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, the Rules Committee and the owners have gotten together to change some things. Uh, do you think the game needs to be changed at all as far as uh, the way it is now? Or do you feel that it's about where it should be? I think as long as they can keep the flow of the game going and not have the too long of delays with the replays, I think they've gotten that pretty much right. And I think for professional football, They've gotten the overtime uh, scenario right. I think now that they give the teams an opportunity to get the ball if they don't give up a touchdown. I think before it was definitely a disadvantage. I don't like the call at all. You know, it's almost like now we're going to have a scrimmage after we play 60 minutes. Right, yes. I think the pros have done that, and I think they've gotten that right. You still see a tie occasionally, but uh, for the most part, I think that they've gotten that right. They're looking to protect the players from concussions. I think for the most part, the pros have done a better job than a college in the rules and how they've been doing it. And it's important. You know, you've got to keep your players on the field. There's a lot more money involved in the game than it was back in the old days. So I understand players' perspective, you know, not wanting to get injured and, uh, and wanting to be protected. I guess there's still some questions about, you know, insurance issues and as they get older and how they're going to be treated. It's a tough one. Uh, there's a lot of money involved, and that's all the factors besides just the players. But I think they need to be protected. They need to be looked after. You know, they gave their heart and soul for the game. A lot of guys didn't have much to you know, when they retired and, and died sadly and not in great shape. So I think they need to be looked after. So that, that definitely has to be considered. You know, you mentioned that in uh, a person that you and I admired back in track of history was Travis Williams, who was one of the great kickoff return specialists. And, uh, Travis Williams... Uh, after he hurt his knee and uh, retired from the game, ended up being homeless, lived in a box, and died uh, penniless uh, a few years uh, back. And so what you said reflects pretty much on uh, what you just said about the NFL. We're talking with uh, a sports fan, George Christian, on Sportsbeat Radio Talking Sports. And George, the epilogue of the show would be, what's the legacy, do you think, of the NFL in your opinion? Well, I think if you looked at the NFL, where I started watching it in the mid-60s into the 70s, how iconic everything has become. I, mean, I remember just watching Super Bowl five, Jim O'Brien lining up the game-winning kick, and I'm always saying, hey, come, put, set that crap off and come to the dinner table. Nobody cared back then unless you're a real football fan. Now you still go to a Super Bowl party. And just the, the money, uh, you know, the halftime shows, the entertainment, and even the politics that have gotten involved in it, it's... It reflects life and our society in general. Um, it's become very iconic. It's become part of American culture and life where it wasn't quite that back in the days. You, were, you had fans and it wasn't that popular. And now it's become that much and everything. Uh, so I think it's a reflection. It's a reflection of the problems they had, like Travis Williams, some of these other players that had problems after they left football. The same problems we have in society today. And uh, we need to just keep working on them. Uh, if football has a place, that's an interesting concept. Anything else you want to add as far as your thoughts from a fan's perspective? I think we've summed it up pretty well. Just it's been a great game to watch over the years and to see all the great players and the great teams and the great moments, you know, from the Lawrence Taylors coming in, the great defensive players, and, you know, the great quarterbacks like Brady, you know, like Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana, and going back to United, and all the great players and 
the contributions they've made and, and the great times they've given us. We went to a lot of games together, and I have great memories of us watching yeah, those games. Sure have. Yes. Uh, it's, it's been a good thing, and keep in perspective and enjoy it. You know, it's interesting from uh, the historical point. The league is now 101 years old. It started in 1920. Before that, as I had mentioned earlier in the show, it was a, a confederation of loose teams in the Midwest that really didn't have any direction. Teams with uh, players would change uniforms based on what team would pay them more. And for a league that actually had problems, uh, many of the teams, only two teams remained, the Chicago Bears and the uh, Arizona Cardinals as the original charter members. For a league that wasn't popular in the 20s, college football certainly was far greater as far as the fandom. Uh, it's a league that now is the richest league. win billion dollars worth. All of the teams make money. Owners are all billionaires now, thanks to the illustrious Roger Goodell. Uh, and so I think we've summed it up pretty much. So I want to thank you for your time, George. Uh, fans' perspective on the NFL with uh, my good friend George Christian, a, a person who was somebody that I think has a great insight. And we'll be back with our thoughts right after this. Well, that'll about do it for our show today. Thanks so much for joining us on a fan's perspective of the NFL with Longtime fan, George Christian, student of sports as well as the NFL. We wanted to thank him for his time and for his contribution to the show. Hope all of you learned a little bit about a fan's perspective and also enjoyed the program. Sports Beat's been a presentation of Mountain Meadow Productions and Sports Beat Radio. Until tomorrow, all of you have a great day and great sports. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Be safe, and we'll see you again tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.